to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. As I often do, I want to start with a question, actually a series of questions, to get you thinking along the lines of what I believe God wants to challenge us about. And I say us very clearly. I believe that's true every week. God challenges me. If he's not challenging me, I'm not doing something right. He's been challenging me about this. And the questions are this. What can you do to make the world a better place? What can you do to make the world a better place? What should you do? What do you do? Can you do anything to make the world a better place? There are people, in fact, every single person that lives has some kind of influence. It may not be very big or may not seem very big. Some may be a lot bigger when you think of world leaders or politicians, whatever it might be. But we are all having an influence on our world. And that influence can be for the good. There are a lot of great people, hopefully you're included in this group, that as they go through life, they want to make a positive influence on the people around them. And however that influence might go, we want it to be a positive one. We want it to be making our world better rather than worse. But then we have people that are on the other side of the spectrum... Probably some that actually are out there just trying to make things as bad as possible. Usually the people that are involved in that is because they're so self-focused and so selfish that pursuing their goals, their gains at the expense of everybody else, it makes things worse. But you know, there's a big group of people, I think, in the middle. And this may be where you find yourself, I don't know. Where it's like, well, I certainly don't want to make things worse in the world. I want to live in a better world. I want to have a good influence. But I don't really feel like I can have that much influence so I just want to get through life, you know? I want to get through life, have my needs met, live nicely. I I want to have a good influence, but I don't anticipate it being that big of a deal. So I don't know where you fall in that. But I believe that God wants to challenge each of us with the truth that I believe with all my heart that we can make a bigger difference in our world than we think. And that God wants to use us to make a bigger difference in the world than you might think. God wants to use you to make a difference in your world, a positive difference. And not just a positive difference in making this life better, but according to God's word, a difference that'll last and make a difference for all of eternity. So, back at the beginning of January, I began a sermon series, which we took a break from the last two weeks, just four weeks. We're finishing next week, and the sermon series is called Seek First. Seek first. And we talked about what do you seek? What do you pursue in your life? What is most important to you? And I mentioned to you that the greatest gauge you can have on what's most important is what you spend your time on and what you spend your money on. That shows what is really important to you, no matter what you might say. But what are you seeking and what is the most important thing that you seek? I kind of defined seek as having a passionate pursuit. And first tells us that this is something that's important. It's a priority. 
And so when we talk about seeking first, we're talking about what is the most important thing or the most important things that we should passionately pursue. There's a whole long list of very good things to pursue and that we should pursue. But what does God's word say? Well, our main text is the one I asked you to turn to, and that's Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And this verse comes at the very end of a teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking about how people, in general, spend most of their lives just scurrying around, trying to make sure that their basic needs are met, and hopefully some desires above that. And in his culture, in his society, at that time of history, they spent almost all their time just getting their basic needs met. They worked hard all day long just to make sure they had enough food for that day, they had adequate shelter, and they had some clothes to wear. If there's anything above that, that's gravy, that's extra, that's great. But that's how they spent all their effort was just having enough. You know, we are so blessed. We don't worry about too much. Most of us, some do, Our basic needs. We're not worried about whether we're going to have food to eat today. We're not worried about whether we're going to be sheltered from the storm, from the rain that's raining today. We don't worry too much about whether we're going to have clothing to wear. Our biggest worry is which outfit are we going to wear. But the principles are the same. And Jesus said, you know, people spend all that time worrying and working and stressing. And he's not against working for what we need. In fact, that's a biblical principle. He says, but you don't have to worry about that. He says, if you're God's child, he's got a better plan for you. And he wraps all that up. He says, why do you worry about all this stuff? Why do you stress? Why do you go crazy doing all this stuff? And he ends it up with our verse, our key verse for this series. And that's Matthew 6, 33. And he says, and perhaps you've heard this before, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And the basic principle is that if we have a relationship with God, and if we seek his plans and purposes in the course of our life, whatever God leads us to do, he'll take care of us. He'll meet our needs. Now, he'll do it through us working. We don't just kick back and say, okay, God, there you go. You're in control. But he'll take care of us. It's a promise that he makes that will never fail. So previously we talked about in the first uh, message, what will you seek first? And we came to the conclusion, God's saying, listen, seek me and my priorities first. I'll take care of you. And then the last message when I preached it a couple weeks ago was seek God first. Now this verse doesn't say seek God first, but to be honest with you, I mentioned to you, if we're going to seek his kingdom and his righteousness, we need to seek him Because if we work for his kingdom, which is what we're going to talk about today, or if we try to live the right kind of life, but we don't have a relationship with him, it's all external. It's, that's where hypocrisy comes from. The most important and significant thing is to have a relationship with him. So we seek him first. But today we're getting to the first half of this verse, where it says, seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. And so today we're going to talk about seeking God's kingdom first. Seek God's kingdom first. Now what's a kingdom? A kingdom is a place where someone exercises power, authority, and influence. We don't relate to kingdoms as much here in the United States because we're not in a kingdom. We don't have a king. We have a whole different set of government. 
But probably most of us know enough about politics and the world and, hey, even fairy tales. We know what a kingdom is. But what is God's kingdom? I mean, you can't point to a map or a globe and say, well, you know, there's the United States, there's Great Britain, there's Malaysia. Where's God's kingdom? Well, if we go by the definition of a kingdom, God's kingdom is any place where God exercises power, authority, and influence. Say, well, if God is really God, and what people say God is based on the truth of God's word, isn't that everywhere? I mean, if God is really this all-powerful God who created everything, isn't everywhere his kingdom? And that is true to a degree. Everywhere, God has full control and can exercise his power and his authority to do whatever he wants and have tremendous influence however he's holding things back. Why? We're going to talk about that. To be honest with you, the story of God's kingdom is the story of the entire Bible. And you say the Bible is the story of God's kingdom. And I want to take just a couple of minutes to kind of give you the overview of this story of God's kingdom that we see in the Bible starting from the very first pages and goes all the way to the very end from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21 or 22. I just had a brain fog as well. It's got 21 or 22 chapters. But the very end is the story of God's kingdom. And my goal is to cover that quickly. Be easy to get bogged down because there's so much in God's word about his kingdom. So we can talk about how do we seek first God's kingdom. Well, we start out with the fact that God is all good and all powerful. And there's a lot of other words we could use to describe God. Those are the two I chose specifically. That he's all good and all powerful. And that he created this world and the universe and everything that surrounds it with his power. And he created it to be all good. When you read the creation story, every day it says God did this, did this, this, and it was good. And when it got to the end of the creation week, it said that God finished and he said it was very good. If you could imagine and think of all that is good in this world, maybe multiply it a little bit. That's the way God created things. But there's a problem because that's not the way the world is now. In addition to that good, there's a lot of bad, a lot of evil, a lot of sin, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. Why is that? If God is all good and all powerful and he created the world to be good and very good, why is that so? Well, the main problem is because when God created the world, he created human beings. And he created them not because he needed them, but because he wanted them and wanted to have a relationship with them. And that's true not just for the original Adam and Eve, but for every single one of us. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He doesn't need anything from us, but he wants a relationship with us. That's why God created everything to begin with. But to be able to have that relationship and it be a sincere, real relationship, not just a robotic, I have to do what God says, he had to give them a choice. He had to give them a free will, the ability to choose to have a relationship with him or to not. But when he created Adam and Eve, That power and authority and influence that he had and still has, 
he gave some of that, a lot of it, as far as this world's concerned, to mankind. He told Adam and Eve, he says, hey, be fruitful and multiply. We're going to be in great relationship. Have dominion over the world. You know, let's run it together. Let's see what we can make of this thing. Now, God knew it was going to happen, but that was the goal. That was the intent. But unfortunately, sin entered the picture. And you've probably heard this story of how Satan came in and took the form of a snake and tempted Eve. And she gave in to sin and she offered to Adam. He says, okay, he gave in also. And without getting into the details, the root of it basically was that human beings said, well, God said that this is the best way to go. This is what's right. This is, this is what's going to lead to all the stuff in here. And then here's another way. Don't go that way. I'm going to choose my way over God's way. And that really is what is at the root of sin. We choose our way over God's way. Which is really sad because God really truly is all good and he knows what's best for us. And when we choose sin, we're just messing with ourselves. It feels good for the time, seems right, but the consequences, sometimes temporary consequences, short-term consequences, but long-term consequences are so destructive. And unfortunately, when they gave their way to sin, through that event, mankind surrendered power and authority to Satan. So there is a very real sense in which God is all good, all powerful. He's still ultimately in control. But because he said, hey, human beings, you're in charge of this world. Rule and reign. Let's make something of this. And then they turned that authority over Satan. Now Satan has great authority, power, and influence in this world. And that is where we see all the evil come in. Now, he's not alone because human beings work together with him. Say, does, does that really... I mean, does Satan really have that much influence? Jesus himself, in two different places, called Satan the ruler of this world. Paul called Satan the god of this world. And so he does have influence. But the good news is, I say, God knew this was going to happen. Say, well, if God knew it was going to happen, why did he get it started? Because he wanted a relationship with the people that would choose to have a relationship with him. As he saw through histories outside history, I'm, we're trying, you know, we try to reconcile that with our view of time and history, but he says, you know what, of all the evil and bad that might possibly be done, it will be worth it for those who will choose to have a relationship with me. Not only in this life, but for all eternity. So, he allowed it to happen, but the thing is, is he planned from the very beginning to turn the situation around. So God made this plan for his kingdom to be restored. Spiritually, relationship with him-wise, but also physically. That one day, this world will be the way God originally created it. All good, wonderful. As I said, if you can imagine all the good of this world just multiplied with none of the bad. That's what it's going to end up being like. We can't even begin to imagine all the aspects of it. But he set, up, he set up a plan for that to be restored. And he talked about it through history. He told about it through his prophets. They talked about the age to come. One writer put it this way. It would be an experience of blessedness where evil is fully overcome and where those who live in the kingdom know only happiness, peace, and joy in relationship with God. 
And he started in Genesis with Abraham. He chose this one man who was an idol worshiper. He says, I'm going to have a great relationship with you. You're going to start this family that's going to become a nation, that's going to have an influence in the world, that's going to bring about the Messiah. I mean, all this stuff is part of his plan as it outworks. He continued it on through King David and his descendants, a man after God's own heart, a very flawed man who made a lot of mistakes and sinned terribly but was repentant and through his descendants. And there was this idea that began to grow through all the prophets that this one was going to come from God who was going to set everything right. And he became known as the Messiah, which means the anointed one. And the Greek term for that is Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. He's God himself come in the flesh. It was in Jesus that the key was to get God's kingdom back on track. And so he came. The problem was that God's people were all excited about the Messiah coming because he was going to restore the nation of Israel, bring about peace and prosperity, and they were only concerned on the physical and not so much on the spiritual. Whereas when Jesus came back, he says, first we've got to take care of the spiritual. We've got to take care of the sin problem. Because if I just set up a big kingdom and people remain in their sins, they'll live a good life here, but they'll be condemned for all eternity. And that's really the story of what happened and why Jesus came. And why Jesus didn't set up some big physical kingdom at that time, but instead went to the cross. The cross was not a mistake. The cross was not something that God didn't foresee. The cross was what God planned from the very beginning. That Jesus would come and live the perfect life that we cannot live. So when he died upon the cross, he paid the price for our sins. The Bible is very clear that we are all sinners separated from God. Now, we'd like to think that we're, I almost said better sinners, but that has kind of an opposite meaning. You know, we're better than others. We're not as bad of a sinner as other people. So surely God will show me mercy and grace, which God wants to show all of us mercy and grace. But we have a tendency to downplay our sin and build up others, and there may be some kind of verifiable, you know, standard you could try to do that, but the Bible makes it clear that whatever sin we have, it separates us from God. And the wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but spiritual death, separation from God for all eternity. But that same verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what that basically means very simply is that to have a relationship with God, we've got to have our sin problem taken care of. Jesus took care of it on the cross. God offers it to us as a gift, but we have to take that gift. And it's by faith. We come to God and say, God, I recognize I'm a sinner. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Not because I'm so good or I can earn it or whatever, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. So forgive me, Lord. And I pray that you'd help me to live for you. And, and if you truly mean that, then you're going to live the rest of your life trying to leave sin behind because that's what caused the problem. That's what caused the barrier between us and God. People that say a prayer or whatever and they go on and live their lives like they always have. They don't care less about right and wrong and that kind of thing. It just shows they didn't really get the message right or they chose to ignore half of it. The message is repent and believe. Repent of our sins, which means we've got to do our best to leave them behind with God's help. But believe means we put our trust in Jesus. And we've got to go on from here, but 
if that's you today, those of you that are here, those of you that are watching online and you have never surrendered your life to Christ, come to him to ask for forgiveness and ask him to live his life through you. I encourage and challenge you to do that today. So Jesus came to do that. As I said, God's people were eagerly awaiting this restoration, but they were primarily focused on this physical kingdom. That's why people were so excited that maybe Jesus is the Messiah. But when they found out it wasn't the physical kingdom, they turned on him so quickly and had him crucified. So Jesus came, and he was proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus is talking to his disciples after a great day of teaching some people and, and telling about the kingdom of God. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And he says, in other places, for I was sent for this purpose. And his message is explained in a number of places, but in Mark 115, it says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. If you just go through and read Jesus' teachings. You know, get your Bible. If you've got a red letter edition, you know, that means all the words of Jesus are in red. You will find that a great majority of what Jesus talked about was about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. It was a way to be less offensive to the Jews who didn't want to use God's name in vain. Kingdom of God, king of heaven, same thing. Almost every one of his parables, not all of them, but quite a great majority of his parables are all about the kingdom of God. Maybe you remember this phrase. He starts talking, he says, well, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. And you read those parables and that teaching, you see this whole story all set up, that we're living in a world where there are people that want to know and love and serve God, but it's full of people who are in full-out rebellion against God, and other people are just kind of floating along, and just by their apathy and their decision not to make a choice, don't have a relationship with God. And that there will come a day when that's going to end. Evil sin and all the junk will have you put an end to. And God's kingdom will be fully and firmly established, not just spiritually, but physically on this world. Some of you have the wrong idea about heaven. They think, well, we're just going to be spirit beings floating around, sitting on clouds, strumming harps. None of that's in the Bible, by the way. The Bible says that God created this world and loves it so much that he's going to recreate it and there will be a physical existence and that we're not just going to be spirit beings, but we will have glorified bodies. That's a whole other study we can't jump into. But Jesus paid the price for redemption from sin and Satan's power on the cross. And we obtain that through that message to repent and believe the gospel. So God's kingdom is actually being established right now, but spiritually, not physically. That's why you can't point on the map. You can't point at a globe and see this is where God's kingdom is. God's kingdom now is wherever God's people allow him to rule in their lives. So if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and you let him rule in your life, God's kingdom is within you. That was one of Jesus' teachings, that the kingdom of God can be within you. It's near to you. Wherever we are surrendered to him and accomplishing his plans and purposes, that's where the kingdom of God is. And the good news is that God's kingdom will be fully established when Jesus comes back. Now, I tell you what, we are in the midst of a big battle, a big war. The Bible talks about spiritual warfare. 
You know, the enemy is fighting against God. But I want to tell you something. It's not because the war has not already been won. The war has been won. The price has been paid on the cross. All right? I mean, it's done. You say, well, if it's done, why are those things still a mess? And they seem to be getting worse. And God's word actually says it will get worse. If the battle really is over and the end is not in doubt, why this battle? Why is it not over? It's because even though the war has been run, uh, won, there are great pockets of resistance that have not been dealt with yet. If you can imagine a war, and I, if I was smart, I probably would have looked through history to find an example, but I didn't do that. Of a war where the war had been won, but there were still battles that were going on because there were pockets of resistance. But the end had already been established. The war was over. But those pockets of resistance had to be put down. That's kind of what it's like. It's just the pocket of resistance is kind of big. It's the whole world. You know, Jesus told one parable. He says, the world is like, you know, this farmer that went out and planted this good seed. But then an enemy came at nighttime and planted bad seed. And the owner didn't know that. The farmer didn't know that. And the seed began to grow up. And the bad seed looked like, I mean, the the plants that came up from the bad seed looked like the good plants. And so it wasn't until they started growing up together that he could determine, oh, man, there's weeds in the middle of this wheat. And his servants came and said, hey, should we rip out the weeds? And the the farmer says, no, it's going to cause too much damage to the wheat to rip them out. Now, wait till the harvest. And then we're going to take it and we're going to, harvest the whole thing and all the weeds will go into the furnace and then the wheat will come into the barn. He says, that's the way it is in the world right now. But I, can t- I just want to tell you, ever since the cross, God could have just stopped it anytime he wanted to. He could have said, okay, we're done. Satan, you're done. No more evil, no more sin, no more junk. Let's just head into that perfect eternity that everybody wants. Why hasn't God done it yet? And the answer to that question is also a very simplified, there's a lot more depth to it, answers to the question of why can a good God or how can a good God allow so much evil in this world? And the simple answer, basic answer, is because God is waiting for people to turn from being a rebel to becoming a child of God. You know, if God had shut it down a hundred years ago, none of us would have been a part of it. If God had shut it down 60 years ago, some of you wouldn't have been a part of it. Ten years ago, whatever it was, whenever it was that you surrendered your life to Christ, if God had shut it down, if he said, okay, we're done, we're putting an end to evil and all that kind of stuff, you would not have been a part of it. You see, God was waiting for you. God was waiting for me to be born, be raised, to to come to have a relationship with him. And God is still waiting. And that's just not my opinion. That's right there in God's word. In 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter is talking about how, you know, it's been a while since Jesus ascended to heaven and people were scoffing and mocking. He said, Jesus said he's going to come back. He hasn't. What's up with that? Why hasn't he done it? And Peter says, this is the answer. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should seek repentance. God's just being patient. He's putting up with a lot. 
because there's more people that are going to come to know him. But I want to tell you, and this is not a threat, it's just reality. There will come a time, it could be this afternoon. It could be tomorrow, it could be a month from now, it could be 10 years. I don't know that God will shut it down. And there will be no more opportunity for people to get right with God. And we'll go into that eternal kingdom that we're talking about. But right now, God is working to establish his kingdom spiritually while we're waiting for the physical manifestation of that. So God is working to establish his kingdom now primarily through his people. If you have a relationship with God, God wants to use you to make a difference for his kingdom. That's how I started out. What kind of difference are you making in your world? It may be more I believe God wants it to be more than you can imagine. God wants to make a difference through you for his kingdom. And that's what this truth that we're focusing on today is all about when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things. God says, listen, I've recruited you. You're in my army. Do what I've called you to do. Fulfill the purposes and plans and goals I've have for you and i'll take care of all your needs and the good news is we got relationship and that last relationship is going to last forever and one day this war this battle will be totally over with and we'll have a great eternity together we have an important part to play you have an important part to play you can make a much bigger impact than you might imagine now all that had to provide foundation And that was the great portion of what I wanted to share with you. (laughs) In case you're wondering, that's just the introduction. No, it's not just the introduction. That's just the foundation. That's the story of the kingdom of God through the Bible. But going back to what we're, we're, we're wanting to deal with today is how, how do I seek God's kingdom first? If that's really what he calls me to do, if that's really what I'm supposed to be doing in the life that I live, how do I seek God's kingdom first. And I just want to give you a list of things that many of you are going to say, I know this, I know this, I know this, but I want you to see it in the context of the fact that we're part of God's kingdom and we're part of God's plan to establish his kingdom right where we are. So what can I do? What can I do? Number one, pray for God's kingdom to be established. Pray for God's kingdom to be established. In one of the most, if not the most famous prayer in the world, Jesus talked about this. He taught it in the Sermon on the Mount. His disciples came to him and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he says, this is how you should pray. Matthew 6, verses 9 to 10, he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, this is how you should pray. This is what God wants to have happen. He wants his kingdom to be established here on the earth. And one day it will be totally, completely, spiritually and physically. But in the meantime, he wants to see more victories in the spiritual realm. He wants more people to come to know Jesus and have a relationship with God. He wants those same people to grow in that relationship and then they be used to reach other people, to to, to share the good news that there's something better than this sin-sick, evil junk that we have to wrestle with. That God really does love them and did something for them. So the first thing we can do is pray that his kingdom can be established. 
And we talked about this this last Wednesday night in our Bible study on Philippians, and that is that we all have a tendency, I think, and this is just human nature, that when we pray, we pray mostly, unless we make a deliberate effort not to, for ourselves and for our needs or for the people that we love and their needs. And the good news is there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. God wants us to come to him with our needs. And he wants to take care of us. But if that's the full extent of our prayer life, we're missing it. Big time. Because prayer has spiritual power. Prayer can make a difference. How can prayer make a difference if I'm praying for somebody else, but they've got to make their own choices? God says it makes a difference. You're not going to force them to make the right choice. they still got to make their own choice. But it makes a difference. We either take God at his word or we don't. And so we pray, God... Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And just a couple of, uh, of areas. Pray for God's kingdom to be established in your life. Okay? Pray for your needs. You need healing? Pray for it. You need uh, financial provision? Pray for it. You need help with a relationship? Pray for it. You need help at work, at school, whatever it is? Pray for it. God wants to help you in every area of your life. But then go on to say, God, may your be a kingdom be established in my life and through my life. You know, when Jesus said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, that really wraps it all up. What is God's will? What is God's plan? What is God's purpose? Say, God, what is your plan and what is your purpose in my life? In every area of my life, what is your plan and purpose for my marriage, if you're married? What is your plan and purpose for my job situation? You see, you don't have a job just to earn money to pay your bills. You are there because God wants to use you there. You're not in school just to get an education. God has you there to make a difference there. You're not in that home, that community, wherever it is. So focus on that. Lord, may your kingdom come and be established in my life and through my life. Pray that God's kingdom would be established in the lives of other people. Your family members, your friends, the people you work with, the people you go to school. Pray for their souls if they don't know Jesus. If they do know Jesus, pray that they would grow and mature and and grow closer to the Lord. Pray that God's kingdom would be established in the church, in our church, in the church in general. You know, if you were going to look and try to find some kind of physical manifestation, representation of the kingdom of God, the church would be it. Which is great, but it's sad. I say it's great because there is a place that people can look at and hopefully see where God is making a tremendous difference in people's lives lives. But what's so sad is the enemy can actively be involved in the church also. Some of you can testify to that. Perhaps you at some point attended a church where you were hurt desperately or deeply by someone who claimed to be a Christian. Or things were said and done that shouldn't have been. They didn't line up with God's word, but people in that position did that. And And I don't want to harp on that, but I'm just saying there's that old saying that uh, uh, Christians are one of the greatest advertisements for Christianity and why many people would say, I want to become a Christian too, because they see a Christian who's really living it out. But the opposite is also true, that some, quote, Christians are the worst advertisement for Christianity. Some people see people that claim to be Christians who are not living it out. So I don't want anything to do with that. If that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be one. 
So pray for the church. In general, pray for our church, that our church would be the place or a place where the kingdom of God is manifested. I mean, it's never going to be perfect. If you came to this church looking for a perfect church, sorry. I like to say, of course, if you came here, then it stopped being, I'm just joking. (laughs) Because I came here, because I'm the pastor, it's not perfect. We are not perfect. Oh, I could preach a whole sermon on that. Don't, don't ever leave a church because it's not perfect because you'll never find one that is. Don't leave a church because some imperfect person stepped all over your toes and maybe bonked you in the head. Hopefully not physically, but spiritually speaking, you're not going to find a perfect church. That's it for my mini-sermon. But anyway, pray for God's kingdom to be established in the church and in our church. And then pray for God's kingdom to be established in the world. It is true. The Bible says it's going to get worse before the end comes. But that doesn't mean we should hope for it or wish for it. The Bible also says that there can be great revivals. There can be great workings of God. And we should pray that God will work powerfully in and through his church. But in our society, the things will get better and not worse. You know, we're entering into this very heated political season. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. Don't worry, I'm not going to break the unwritten rules we have in our church that we don't talk about politics and candidates and all that. I'm not going to do that. But but our hope, our desire as Christians and people that are just out there in society is that hopefully decisions will be made, people will be selected, whatever, that will make things better. For people that have been around a while, it's like, well, we'll keep our fingers crossed. But we can work and we can pray. God, may your kingdom be established. May your kingdom be established. The second thing you can do besides pray is live according to kingdom principles. In other words, you need to start living out the kingdom in your life. What good does it do to say, God, I want your will to be done in the world, but not in my life. God, it would be great if everybody else's marriages would be exactly what you want them to be, but Lord, I don't like what you tell me to do, so maybe not mine. Apply to any area of our life. God, I know you want righteousness and integrity and honesty and fairness and compassion and justice to be prevalent in our society. And I pray for that. While inside we're holding hatred and anger and prejudice and racism and other things that are anti-God's kingdom. We need to live out those kingdom principles. And where do I find those kingdom principles? Read your Bible. Especially Jesus' teaching. Especially the New Testament. The whole thing is about how we live as citizens in the kingdom of God. It affects every area of our life. Our lifestyle, our morals, our relationships, our words, and our actions. And we'll talk more about that next week when we wrap this all up by talking about seeking God's righteousness first. Basically, it just means live to please God. If you live to please God, you'll be living according to kingdom principles. The third one, share the good news of the kingdom. It's also called the gospel. If you have received that good news and you've had it affect your life, let other people know. When God opens the door, and don't just say, okay, God, when you open the door, I'm going to keep my eyes shut so I don't see it. No, look for those opportunities. Plant those seeds. Build and develop those relationships. The primary way that people, that God reaches people is through relationships. 
But don't just build a relationship because you somehow want to share the gospel. Build a relationship with people because you really care about them. And you want what's best for them, no matter what, whether they ever accept the truth or not, at least you've done your part, but you care about them. Share the good news of the kingdom. I go back to what Jesus said in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's still true. The kingdom of God is at hand. There is the gospel, which means good news. You can have it. You've got to repent of your sin. That's what's causing the bad news. But you can put your belief and trust in Jesus Christ, and it can change your life and your eternity. You know, people need Jesus to enter the kingdom of God and experience all its benefits, whether you're talking about now or into eternity. And that's what Jesus was training his disciples to do. He trained them to go out and tell right then and there. And before he left this earth, he gave them what is called the Great Commission. You know that passage you know? It's to go and preach the gospel to every creation, every creature. That's what Mark says. Matthew says he's to go and make disciples of all nations, you know, teaching them to obey, baptizing them, all that kind of stuff. Many people said that's the main reason we're still here on this earth. If we know Jesus, why are we still here? Because he's got something for us to do. To spread the truth of that gospel. Number four. See, how many are there? Five. Number four, help others live by kingdom principles. Just like our first responsibility is, I'm going to start living to please God. God, what is your plan and purpose for me? What is your will concerning my marriage, my job situation, whatever? I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I, want, I want to do that. Now, Lord, I want to help the people around me. Again, the New Testament is full of teaching that we are in relationship with one another and we are here to encourage one another and strengthen one another. That the older in the faith can teach and mentor and disciple the younger in the faith. And we can challenge and encourage one. That's why being part of a body of believers is so significantly important. It isn't so that the church or the pastor can write down bigger numbers. It's so we can make a difference in each other's lives. And you can do this starting this in, in your home. If there are people in your home that are under your influence, and we'd automatically think of parents with kids, but... Young people, or our kids are in the other building, but young people, you have an influence on your parents too. It may be a little bit one-sided. It's kind of meant to be that way at this point in your life. But young people, especially if you've got parents that don't know Jesus, you can have a powerful influence in their lives as you pray and you live and you just love. So help others to live by kingdom principles in your home, wherever you are. Get involved in some sort of ministry inside the church, outside the church. We've got lots of opportunities here where you can make a difference in people's lives. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for the great multitude and majority of people that call this church home that you're involved in ministry. And you're making a difference in people's lives. And in case you're sitting here saying, well, I don't teach anybody. I don't do this. I just kind of, you know, I help set up chairs. I mm, set up tables and clean up. And that's an important part of ministry. That enables everything else to happen. Whatever you do, if you do it for the Lord, it's an important part of ministry, of establishing the God, God's kingdom. Our mission statement as a church is this. Marion Oaks Assembly of God exists to help people change into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, this is your church home, and if it's not, we'd love for it to be so. Get involved in some way. But don't just do it here. Do it out there. 
make a difference, help others live by kingdom principles. The last one is this. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? How can I do that? Do what you can to promote kingdom values in the world. Do what you can to promote kingdom values in the world. How do I do that? Stand up for what is right. Stand up for godly values. Now, if you're already trying to live them out in your life, you're already on the road to making a difference. What are godly values? We can make a long list. I just made a short one, just real quick. Just Honesty, integrity, justice, equality, compassion. Against inequality, injustice, racism, all those things. Stand up for godly values. And I mentioned earlier, I said I'm going to talk about it a little bit, and I am just a little bit. In this season we're getting ready to go into with the political process, become informed and vote godly values. We at this church will never try to tell you who to vote for or anything like that. But we, won't, we will unhesitantly tell you to do your research and vote for godly values that has to do to a degree with the character of the people that are involved, but also for what they stand for. And none of those are totally pure, and that's what makes it so difficult. Because I don't care who you're looking at, which side of the aisle, which party, whatever, you have a bunch of flawed people who don't have a pure idea in their heads, and that's not meant to be a a, a derogatory comment, because I don't have, and I don't mean impure as far as lust, I'm just talking about, you know, totally knowing everything in perfection. You've got people involved in the political process, as I stated at the beginning, who their desires, I want to make a difference in the world, and their hearts are right and good and true, and they may do a really good job, and they may make some mistakes. But then you've got some people that are involved in the process that are only out for themselves. And a system, the world system, whatever, that's under the control of the enemy and all that kind of stuff. I kind of mentioned, and many of you know this, but some of you are newer, that that's the stand that we take here at our church. We don't talk about politics in specifics as far as a specific party or a specific candidate and endorse and all that kind of stuff. We just talk about the truth and about issues. And that's a good time to mention that since we're entering into this season. If you like to be involved in politics and get into those big discussions and debates and knock down drag outs, go for it. Just don't do it here. But let's talk about the truth. Let's talk about what's right. Let's talk about justice. Let's talk about the issues that we need to consider when we make our choices to go to the ballot box. You know, I was reading an article this week. I've, I've read this verse so many times that I've never seen this before. It's not some new truth. You hear somebody talking about a new truth that's only been revealed for the first time. They're probably a wacko. But anyway, there's a verse in Isaiah 33, 22. It says, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. And before I leave this topic, because we've got to wrap this up, if you're putting your hope and your, all your eggs in the basket of some political party or some political candidate, you're going to be disappointed. You know, I'm looking at this verse. 
The Lord is our judge. That kind of is like our Supreme Court. The Lord is our lawgiver. That's kind of like our Congress. The Lord is our king. That's kind of like our president. There's the three aspects of the United States government. We don't put our hope in our president, or we shouldn't. We shouldn't put our hope in our Congress. We shouldn't put our hope in the Supreme Court. We should pray for them, believe the best for them, pray they come to know Jesus, and if they know Jesus, they represent him well. And it doesn't matter what party they're from. But don't put your hope there. To rephrase that verse, the Lord is our Supreme Court. The Lord is our Congress. The Lord is our President. He will save us. And we need to look to Him. Let me say one more thing and we're going to wrap this up. Don't be one of those Christians whose political affiliation is more important than their kingdom affiliation. Let me say it one more time. Don't be one of those Christians whose political affiliation is more important than their kingdom affiliation. You stand by your beliefs. You stand by your values, but I challenge you, make sure they're based on the truth and the values of God's word. And you act accordingly. Two last thoughts, which each could be a sermon, and I'm not going to make them one. Seeking God's kingdom first is a battle. As we choose to seek God's kingdom first, we're going to face opposition. We have an enemy out there. That's what spiritual warfare is all about. But God gives us the weapons we need, and he will lead us into victory as we trust in him. The last thought is this, seeking God's kingdom first brings eternal rewards. We will be a part of that kingdom into eternity. All the sin, sickness, sorrow, disease, death, done away with forever. Thank you, Lord. And thank the Lord he waited for me. Thank the Lord he waited for you. So seeking God's first basically means going through life with a kingdom mindset. It affects our prayers. It affects our personal lifestyle and our actions at home, at church, and in the world, where we work, where we go to school. It means I approach life living for God's kingdom, not mine. I want to challenge you to get in the habit of waking up every morning and saying, Lord, thank you for a new day. Thank you for the sleep I got last night, if you got some. Here's a new day. I got this to do, I got that to do, I got the other thing to do, but God, in the midst of it, help me to remember that I'm your emissary in this world for your kingdom, to make a difference for your kingdom, not just go out and earn a paycheck or get an education or enjoy my retirement. And working for God's kingdom doesn't mean that you have to uproot yourself and go to the far side of the world like so many missionaries do unless God calls you to. It means just working for God's kingdom wherever he has placed you which can be just as difficult sometimes. Let's all stand together. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song that basically talks about how we were lost and God came to our rescue. But when it comes to the chorus, it talks about God, because you did that, in my life, Lord, be glorified. In my home, Lord, be glorified. In my church, Lord, be glorified. Which is another way of saying, God, in my life, in my home, in my church, may the kingdom be established. And as they sing that, I'm going to invite our elders and prayer team to come forward. And I want to encourage you to make this song a prayer, a song of commitment in your life. To commit yourself to seek first God's kingdom and to work to establish that. If you have any kind of need, though, and you would like someone to pray with you, totally unrelated to the sermon, you need 
healing or whatever, you'd like someone to pray with you, or you, there's someone that you love that you care about, you want us to pray with you about them, that's why we're down here. If you don't know Jesus and you want to come to know him, we'd love to pray with you for that to happen. Let's take a couple minutes to do that, and then I'm going to come back and close in prayer. Aren't you glad that God called and gave us the opportunity to answer? I'm sorry, God, we called and God answered. I got that backwards. It's true, though. God called us. We wouldn't have responded to him if he hadn't called us first. Now we have a responsibility to live for him and make a difference in our world. If that's your desire, you know you're not going to do it perfect. I know I'm not going to do it perfect, but it's your desire that you want to make a difference in your world for Jesus and see his kingdom established. Would you join me in praying for that? You can raise your hands if you want to say, God, here I am. Father, here we are. God, we thank you that you drew us to yourself and someone shared the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of salvation from our sins through Jesus Christ with us. And we responded because you drew us, Lord God. And we called to you and you answered and you forgave us. And you're helping us as we trust in you. And God, we need that. Help us to trust in you. But Father, right now we're just saying you've spoken to us today. God, I pray that you would help me to make a difference for your kingdom not just as the pastor of this church when I preach and teach, but in my home, where I go in the community, anybody I come in contact with as you guide and lead and open the door. And God, just use me. Father, I believe there are many other people that are saying the same thing. Some that are here, some that are maybe watching online or listening later. God, I pray that you would use us. And Father, I know this world's going to get bad before the end comes. But God, we pray for all the good that can be established. We pray, dear Lord God, for your kingdom to be established. Your, your, your principles, your values to become more and more a part of our society to the degree that they can be. We pray that it get better, Lord God. We pray, dear Lord Jesus, for revival in your church. We pray for revival in our church. God, we pray for our nation today. I did talk about that a little bit. As we go into this season of political stuff, help us to have a clear head and a clear heart. Help us to seek you. Show us what is most important. But I pray that you'd work in and through the process. The people of the United States could make some really bad choices. and We could go downhill in so many ways. Some good choices could be made and maybe things will get better. Chances are it's going to be a mixture of both. But Father, we pray, dear God, that because of the difference that your kingdom, the people of your kingdom make, that that will have a good influence and impact in this season. God, we pray for our elected officials. I pray for those who know you, that they would serve you with a whole heart and that they would do the best they can to work for your your values, Lord God, and whatever decisions they have a part of making, Lord Jesus. I pray, dear God, for those who are only out to do what's best for themselves or for the people that elected them. God, help them. I pray, first of all, that those that don't know you would come to know you, that they'd be saved from their sins, Lord Jesus, and surrendered to you. God, I pray that you touch every one who's involved in our government or who will be after this election cycle. 
work in their lives, Lord Jesus, and work through them to bring about your plans and purposes, Lord God, for this world, for our nation. And God, we thank you for it. I pray, dear God, that you would bind and thwart the enemy's plans in every way possible. And God, we look forward to that day when Jesus will come back. He is coming back. And Lord, he is establishing his kingdom. And all this junk will be over with. But lastly, I pray to God for those of our family members, our friends, and our loved ones who don't know you yet. Lord, we thank you that you're waiting for them. And God, we pray in Jesus' name that they would come to know you before you decide to put an end to it, Lord God, and use us in that process. Father, use us as we go into our world this week. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 